What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. Service businesses can get a bad rap. After all, there's still clients to deal with. There is actual labor involved in fulfillment. They're just not as glamorous as the other more, quote, passive income models. But you should know that more Side Hustle Show guests started with a service-based business model than any other. And on today's show, you learn how to set your business up from day one to provide great value to clients, yes, but without relying on you to do the actual work. I am excited to welcome Tyler Gillespie to the show. Tyler, what's going on? Not much, man. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. You bet. So Tyler is a longtime listener. We first connected way back, I want to say 2014, over a World Domination Summit ticket. But in any case, Tyler today runs productized.services, where he helps people with this unique brand of service-based businesses. And there are a couple huge benefits to Tyler's approach. One, all of a sudden, you're not limited by your own skills. You just have to have the ability to find clients and then other people with the skills that they need. So that's huge. That dramatically opens up the realm of potential services that you could offer. And number two, since the business no longer relies on you as being the hands-on mechanic, it becomes that much more sellable down the road, which is something that Tyler's done a couple times now. If you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash Tyler, you'll find links to all the resources mentioned, along with the full text summary of our call. While you're there, be sure to download my free list of 101 service business ideas that might just be ripe for the type of productization we're talking about today. So Tyler, your latest service was called Applause Lab, which helped e-commerce brands get video testimonials. Was this thing started with the exit in mind? 100%. Yeah. I think the timing as far as when the exit would happen or if it would happen definitely was not planned. And I think that's a lot of the part of what I kind of share and try to help other service businesses with is having the optionality, right? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't have. So when I started Applause Lab from day one, it was very much intentional with just how I was designing the business and thinking about and putting myself in investor shoes of if someone was going to buy this down the road, what can I start with right now? Uh, the more you do this, right? The more you learn, the more businesses you start, you get better and faster at actually going from zero to a hundred. And I think the previous business taught me that, you know, I think the first few years running a content writing service, which was called Content Pros before we sold that business, there was a lot of things I wish I would have done a lot sooner, right? So starting Applause Lab, it was just like, cool, day zero, here's exactly what I need to do. And I think that really helped set it up for success because yeah, it was about 13 months and uh, we had a buyer come in and, and buy the business. So a competitor actually. Oh, interesting. Strategic acquisition. <laughs> like if we can't, uh, if we can't beat them, join them type of deal. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the company actually, and I did an interview with the founder of Testimonial Hero, who I don't know if you know, Sam over there. And, and we had done some partnership stuff. We kind of targeted different avatars, even though we both did video testimonials. So it started as just kind of a relationship and then grew into, you know, him actually being interested in acquiring the business. So it was a very natural and, and kind of fun, yeah, like you said, strategic acquisition for them. Okay. That was something that was interesting in going through the selling process for the virtual assistant assistant site, which we covered on an episode last month. It was surprising the number of other people in the space who were interested in it. And it's like, this would complement our existing operations. And so that, that wasn't something that was necessarily on my radar as potential buyers, but that was, you know, several of the interested parties 
did you have a background in video production? Like what gave you the confidence or inspiration to go into this, you know, video testimonial space? Yeah, zero background in video editing, production, etc. I think it's just more it came from like a knowledge of like, cool, like this was something we wish I wish I had with previous businesses. And it was always a lot of friction with gathering video testimonials, right? And it was always like, man, these, these are like one of the most powerful assets you can have in your business to leverage having someone else kind of do the selling for you. But it was just one of those things that always got pushed to the bottom of the list. You know, it was like, cool, we need video testimonials. And then it turned into, okay, what if we just got written ones? And then it turned into, why don't we just write them for the customer and then ask them to approve them? It was just kind of, we went through that process and I knew the the power of them. So it was just really kind of solved that problem. And I looked in the market and there just wasn't that many solutions. Um, so I thought I would kind of give a stab at it, but there definitely was a learning curve at the beginning with just hiring, training, and working with, you know, a team of, of video editors, which that aspect was definitely new to me. Which came first, the customer or the production staff? <laughs> customer for sure. Okay. This is like the chicken or the egg solution. Yeah. Yeah. So I put it out there and actually one of my first customers was a buddy of mine who runs an oil and gas company down here in, well, he's comes in and out of Columbia where I'm based, but he's also from Oklahoma. And uh, he said, man, if you can get me, if you can get these oil and gas guys out in the field to leave a video testimonial, I've been trying for years, I, I will pay you. So he signed up for a couple and then I just kind of went to work and um, we ended up capturing, I think, over 15 video testimonials for him or something. He's, he had been trying to capture these and just never could. So that was kind of the first customer that kicked off the business, which was really fun. Okay. So I'm trying to think if I was going down this path, first starting with an idea or starting with a problem that either I've experienced in my own life or through conversations, like you said, hey, we really could have used this in another operation that we were running you know, from other people that would talk to, like, you know, the power of testimonials, but it's really hard. So if those kind of complaints or those kind of annoyances start to bubble up in your own thinking, in your own life, like, okay, maybe there's a business on the other side of that. Even if you don't necessarily have the skills to go out and solve that yourself, the odds are somebody does. And maybe you could position yourself as the branded solution, the middleman, the connector between those two, which it sounds like that was the game plan here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it, a lot of things start with scratching your own itch. And that was kind of the initial pain that I knew. And then I confirmed it with, you know, talking with people with inside my network. And then the validation was, you know, someone actually paying money, which then kind of gave me the confidence to kind of fully dive into the business at the time. What came next from this first customer? Was there a, a greater marketing push? Was there now like, oh, shoot, we got to figure out how to fulfill this stuff. I'm curious what came next? I gave myself a little bit of a window to execute and deliver the work. So I think after that first kind of payment, it was, you know, building out some onboarding and then figuring out kind of how I wanted to actually leverage the service. Cause it started out where I was actually doing the interviews with the plan to have someone, you know, outsource the actual interviewing. So we would get connected with this particular customer's customers, and then we would interview them with a series of questions. And then we would hand that over to the video editor, right? I quickly found out that that was not going to scale very well for many reasons. One was just the timeline at which a lot of this happened, right? Because um, let's say I was doing some video testimonies for your customers and 
I've now connected with them. Now it's coordinating schedules, which oftentimes became two, three weeks out before someone was available potentially. Some were faster, but that was the big thing was just the delay and actually getting it all done. So we ended up switching from the one-to-one interviews to more of an asynchronous interview style um, where we would actually pre-record all the questions via what we called like a capture link. And then we would send the customers that link and they could just easily just record on their browser or phone or tablet whenever they wanted. And it would kind of guide them through a series of 10 questions automatically. So that's kind of what we ended up going to, which really streamlined operations and made things a lot a lot simpler. But it took you know a handful of customers to kind of get to that point and realize that that was going to be one of the issues there. That is an interesting way to streamline it rather than doing one-on-one like Zoom recordings to get those reactions like, hey, look, we're going to ask the same questions to every person. Like, we might as well pre-record that. And so that's kind of a cool way to do it. Was it similar with Content Pros, your previous business, saying, I don't want to be the one doing the content writing. I just want to go out and find customers. Curious, like, what was the marketing like for that business? I don't think it was ever like, I didn't ever want to do the work. I think you're kind of, when you start a service business, right? In my case, like, I'm more of kind of the, have the business owner mindset. So I always lean towards like outsourcing first, right? A lot of people start service businesses and your audience might have skill sets. Maybe they're a writer, graphic designer, et cetera. And for them to just go and start a graphic design business or writing business and do the work is very natural, which is completely fine. But when you're doing the work, you can get kind of in that service business trap, right? Where you're doing and fulfilling and it's hard to get out of that. I think you want to as quickly as possible move to outsourcing what we call the mechanism of your business. And I think just, I don't know if it was, you know, how I grew up or just the way I was approaching business, but even, yeah, Content Pros, the very first business or one of the first online businesses or productized services we started, we outsourced the writing right away. The first customer that paid, we brought on a writing team. It was the same with Applause Lab. So I think that can be very advantageous to like immediately working on the business and is definitely one of those things that you're going to need to have implemented, you know, back to the point of like building a business to sell down the road as well. Now, it sounds like with Applause Lab specifically, there wasn't a ton of other players in the space doing the same or doing a similar service. But with content writing, there's a million and one places to get outsourced content written. Like what gave you the confidence to say, we can stand out in this space, we can gain customers in this space? How we approached it was actually trying to stand out by not trying to be the cheapest. I mean, I think to your point, there's a lot of content writing services um, and a lot of them are, I guess, kind of considered content mills in many ways. And we wanted to really be like, okay, well, what if we took the other approach and didn't try to compete with everyone on price, but more of just priced ourselves higher and really kind of pushed quality industry experts and focus on more like thought leadership content. So that was really the angle that we took Where do you find your first customers for the content business? It was network, which is very common, and then cold email. Um, So those were the two combos. And we really rode the cold email train (laughs) for a majority of the growth of the business, to be completely honest. Cold email and then referrals kind of came naturally as well. But that was kind of at least somewhat of the predictable driver for us at the time. That's interesting to say it was cold. It was like 
hey, nobody knows we exist, so we got to tell people that we exist. Uh, and that channel was through cold email. Now I'm curious, like, what was the initial pitch like? And I imagine it was uh, honed and tweaked and improved over the years. Oh, man, dude, we, we got the cold email systems that we'd built out for that business was just really, really intense. I think at one month, we were sending 20,000 cold emails a month, which is absurd. And it was definitely we as we got better, you know, that number went down, but we just we had increased kind of the volume and we really tried to keep the quality up. And we had a great kind of a dedicated internal team managing it. Yeah, we just had some really unique reach outs. We were really, I think, ahead of our time with like personalization, which now is like very common. But, you know, we would pull in a lot of different stats at the time, which weren't really common and create, you know, even though they were mass emails, they definitely felt and looked more personable than most people were doing at the time where most people just leveraged first name and company. We were leveraging like first name, company, location, uh, blog posts, recent blog post title that they wrote and different things like that as well, creating like a first line customization that we'd have a VA kind of personalize through all of the spreadsheets before they were uploaded and sent. So I think those really helped. I think we were averaging like a three to 5% positive reply rate on all of our campaigns, which was at the time really, really good. Definitely a volume-based play here. Yeah, 20,000 emails a month and hoping for just a few percent to take the bait and engage. Was there a specific ask at the end of the email? Was it directly pitching your services? What, what was the ask? Oh, yeah. So it was a content strategy call. So we would push everyone to a, a call where we would kind of evaluate their current content strategy and then share with them some ideas. So more of a value, kind of a consultative type of close. So that was the pitch. So most people went through a phone call and then they would sign up and trial our service. And we had like a discounted first post, try us out. Um, so that converted really, really well. And we were able to, I mean, yeah, that was the huge driver really to take us from a few customers up to, to 70 or so. Yeah. Wow. Was it you doing those initial strategy calls? Initially, yeah. So my partner and I, I mean, I think both of us, you know, very similar skill sets in like sales and, you know, that stuff. So that was like one of the last things we we outsourced essentially. And we just really focused on hiring out operations, customer success, uh, editorial team, writers. And, and then we just really did sales and we rode that, you know, all the way till you know, just about till we closed or sold the business. For those 20,000 emails a month, how did you figure out who to contact, like how to populate the uh, receiver end of that? For that business, we, we definitely tried a few different or quite a few different angles. And, and that wasn't like our average. I think we got up to that. Um, I think, and even now, I mean, today, like cold email still works. I think it's a really it works if you get really personalized and specific and it's definitely not a quantity play anymore. But for us, it was converting and we were going after a lot of like agencies and, and SaaS companies. So those, that 20,000 was segmented into like a few, three or four different avatars that we were kind of targeting. So, so that kind of helped as well. But yeah, that's kind of how we approached it. With Applause Lab, has that shifted to more personal outreach or what, what did you find effective in driving customers there? Oftentimes, growth comes from your network um, initially, just people closest. So, I mean, that's why it's so vital to kind of build up your network and, and cultivate relationships because that's going to just be about an asset you can have over time. So, that was a huge driver initially with the Plaza Lab was, you know, I had a pretty decent network and I just reached out to, to friends and people and colleagues in my network that I thought 
the service could, you know, be valuable to. And, and so that is really what kind of kicked off the business in many ways because it resonated with people and, and they were willing to pay for it. So, so that was great. And then after that, I had a small cold email campaign, but it was super personalized. Um, I also did like a lot of networking, you know, which nowadays, you know, in some of uh, uh, some Facebook groups that were really relevant as well, like shared some of the journey on like indie hackers and places like that. So I think those are really viable places to go initially once kind of your, your network's tapped, but that's kind of where drivers initially that I was focused on. How did you figure out how much to charge for this type of service? Yeah, pricing is always, always challenging. I think initially I, was, I looked in the market, right? And Testimonial Hero, one of my competitors that ended up buying us, you know, they were doing in-person video testimonials, but they were charging anywhere from six to $10,000 a video. So they were going very more enterprise, in-person, really high quality. So I was like, okay, interesting. And But then on the flip side, there was really no other service doing this at a much lower cost. There was just pure software plays where it's kind of do-it-yourself type of uh, video testimonies. You'll see a lot of services, you know, $50 to $150 a month um, that will just, you can use their software to capture testimonials, but then you still have to do all the editing and et cetera to make it look good. So that was kind of my initial, like looking at the market kind of play. And once, once I had kind of an idea of what that looked like, and then found some agencies that were doing it for a couple thousand dollars a video, um, or even around a thousand. So that was kind of anchored the pricing. And then I looked, okay, how could it, how much would it cost me if I built out kind of my dream team, had a video editor, we captured these and really leveraged that to kind of set the pricing. And I came up with kind of a very affordable option. I thought, you know, which was around three to $400, a video testimonial kind of fully edited, produced, and captured from your best customers. So, so that was kind of what we ended up pricing the service at, which was drastically cheaper than anything in the market, which I think that also helped us, you know, look really attractive to a lot of people that needed that service, you know? Yeah, that's, that's interesting to say, hey, people were going really high end, other companies were going really low, kind of the DIY software model but there was some room in the middle, which is interesting and say, okay, here's what we can do. And then backing out some of your projected costs uh, in labor to fulfill that. Is there a target, especially when you're outsourcing the labor from the very beginning, is there a target margin that you're shooting for on this type of operation? Yeah, hundred percent. So like typically like the cogs of or cost of goods sold, of like having someone fulfill the work for you. Like I always try to aim between that like 30 and 40% mark, which gives you like a 60 to 70% gross margin. So that's always kind of an interesting way to like look and when you're looking to price your services, it's like, can I like get this fulfilled? Or like what would the cost be if it was 30% of what I'm charging? So, so that's kind of how I looked at it and not every service is like that, but it kind of helps you because you at least want that margin. Like if you don't have at least a 50 to 60% gross profit margin, it's just going to make it (laughs) really difficult to scale down the road if you want to hire other people and marketing, et cetera. So that's kind of a rough percentage to kind of aim for, at least I believe initially. Yeah. It's an interesting space to play in because you see the same thing in like virtual assistant companies, well, they'll charge the client 35, 40 bucks an hour. And then to have any margin to play with, they got to turn around and pay that assistant 
half that or or sometimes less and it's an interesting one have you did you ever run into either in the in the writing business or the testimonial business clients saying if they're the ones doing the work if this video editor is the guy doing the work why don't i just go hire him directly like i'm thinking okay if i hire a house cleaning company that operates on a similar model maybe it's 100 bucks but they're turning around and paying the cleaner 30, 40 to come and do it. It's like, well, shoot, I'll just do business directly with the cleaner, pay them 50 and they're happier and I'm saving money too. Yeah. I think, well, that's a dilemma with, with any business really, but service businesses specifically, I think you should be providing, like it should be an obvious value that makes up for the pain, the switching cost for them to just manage it themselves. Cause there's other things that come with that, right? Like you could just go and hire use a DIY software, but then someone needs to manage that capture. Someone needs to then hire the video editor, manage the video editor. So like there was built-in value that, you know, hopefully well, you know, makes up for the customer's time and the value they value their time at. So I think that's one way to look at it. I think for us, like we ended up, and I'll just tell you, we ended up using a service called Video Ask which you may be familiar with, which is a really cool, it's a capture tool to capture video testimonials for a plaza. But what we did, which was really unique, was like, cool, we're going to leverage this tool. You could go out and get this tool yourself, record your own videos, send it to your customers, get the footage, edit it, et cetera. But what we're going to do is we're going to leverage this. We're going to actually hire a spokesperson to record all these questions that are proven questions. We're going to build out the whole video ask We're going to create your own special capture link. And all you have to do is send that link to your customers. Once they submit it, all the footage comes into our video team. We review it. We take that 12 minutes of footage, pick out the best parts, edit it to a 90 to 120 second version that's fully produced, edited with your brand CTA. And then we give that to you that you can just embed on your website. So that was kind of the value prop in kind of that specific business and process where once people could kind of see that, it was a no-brainer for the cost because for them to try to do that all themselves, and then that's the benefit of a service. Hopefully, you have the efficiencies of scale as well, right? Like over time where even if someone wanted to do it on their own, it would probably still be the same or even more to do it themselves, you know? Right. I like that. That's always a common question for sure. But, you know, hopefully you're, you're marketing and looking for people that aren't the DIY crowd and they're happy to pay you to kind of do it for them, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of the accounting and bookkeeping stuff, this is the perfect place to plug our sponsor, FreshBooks. I'll be the first to tell you, look, there's a lot to love about being your own boss, but trying to figure out your financials all on your own is not probably one of those things. And thankfully, this is where FreshBooks comes in. It's the award-winning all-in-one accounting solution that is built for business owners like you and I. FreshBooks takes all of the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to organizing expenses, to managing your online payments, and it automates and simplifies them. Consistent FreshBooks users report saving up to 11 hours a week in the process. That's a lot more time to help move your business forward. And come tax time, FreshBooks has your back. With tons of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands, and you can easily hand over the keys to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days. There's no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section to get started today. 
That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get more time back and build the business you love. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. Tyler, with Applause Lab, was there any recurring element to these customers that you found? Or was it just kind of a, a one and done, we'll go and conquest you three, five, 10 testimonials, however many that you need? Yeah, that's a great question. I think this is one of the things, obviously, when you're designing to exit, recurring revenue is a huge thing. And I think I was like, immediately, let's get recurring revenue in from day zero. And I had to learn the hard way that not all business models for your audience fit into a recurring model, or you have to get creative with how you position it with some of your offerings. Because for me, like a lot of people didn't need a video testimonial, just that model need a video testimonial every month on a recurring basis. So it definitely moved into the packaged offering where we would sell packages of um, two, four, eight, 12, or 24. And that seemed to work really well where you could buy a package and then you could use it whenever you wanted. So my packaged offerings were priced a little higher. And then I did, after someone tried us, offer them a subscription, which was kind of on the back end, but it was a yearly subscription where you could buy any amount of video testimonials you wanted. You got a discount. It was a 12-month subscription, and then you could use those whenever you wanted through the year. So that actually was a huge hit, and that fit well. So I was able to kind of tackle the subscription element, but then as well gave my customers the flexibility where you know they're not getting charged every month for something. There's a lot of out of their control as well when they can get a customer to say yes, when someone's in the right you know stage in the buyer's journey or customer journey. So that was actually what we ended up moving towards. You know, small package up front, try us out, and then we would upsell them into a, subs- a 12-month subscription on the back end. Okay. So if they happen upon a customer who is singing their praises, now they have a system to capture that. And that system was Applause Lab. Like, hey, here's somebody you ought to go, you ought to go and contact. Okay. That's what kind of made it nice and flexible for them as well, because as those opportunities arose, they could easily just funnel them in. And that was what we were trying to create was a system to capture these video testimonials. So you could just have this social proof kind of engine going kind of effortlessly. So that's really kind of what we helped set up. From conception to exit in 13 months seems pretty quick, considering I spent nine and a half years on on the site that I recently sold. What was that? process like in terms of either getting your books in order or listing on brokerages? Like what what was that process like? Yeah, great question. I think again, to like designing from day zero. So it's like, I think one thing I had was like super clean processes, very organized, 
Um, I had a great manager in the business. We had detailed books. Um, I, I highly recommend following like Profit First. So that was a huge help. And it's kind of an accounting system for people who don't know. There's a great book on it. But, you know, the, these were all things from day one that just made it really kind of effortless to potentially sell. And again, like that happened a lot faster than I thought. And kind of how it happened was um, I began creating relationships in the industry, one of which was with Testimonial Hero. And they actually brought it up when we had connected, you know, around that 12-month mark and kind of surprised me and caught me off guard a little bit. So I actually never listed with a broker properly. So it was kind of an out of the blue kind of thing, because I think for a company like that, a lot of people like acquiring customers and acquiring video editors and an asset like that is much faster. And that's the reason people do it than starting from zero or, or just doing it on their own. And I think that was the case, the value add for, for testimonial hero as well for them to, uh, just kind of buy the business, kind of add that as another product offering that was different from what they already had. Yeah. So their testimonial hero was the company that was targeting enterprise clients at five, 10 grand a video. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So now here's a way for them to capture completely, like enter a completely different segment. Yeah. And I'll I'll add as well that through relationship building with them, they were actually sending me leads already. And we've set up kind of a referral system because they had a lot of people that would reach out to them and say, and once I found out how much they charged, it wasn't a great fit. So testimonial here would downsell or, or kind of down referral them over to me. And if they closed, then I would give them a, a cut. So that was actually kind of how the relationship started. So that was interesting as well. That is interesting. A little uh, referral, strategic partnership, a service affiliate marketing kind of uh, kind of deal. Are you comfortable sharing what the business was doing around the time of acquisition in terms of monthly and I mean, annual revenue is like, well, it's been one year. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Um, well, I can't reveal any of the numbers because I did have to sign an NDA with the, with the buyer, but we had about five or six video editors um, that were going a full-time customer success manager. And then over that year, we had serviced about almost 80 customers and then about 20 plus of them were actually on recurring annual plans. Okay. So there was quite a bit in place there, including the team. And so that's one of the benefits here is like, okay, the team stays with the business there. You know, you're not going to have to go through the, the headache and expense of recruiting the service providers in this case. So that's part of what makes it an attractive acquisition. Yeah, no, hundred percent. With the content pros exit, was it similar? Like, was it a strategic partner who bought that or curious what that exit process was like? Yeah, we actually, that one, we, we did list with a broker. So that was a little bit more of a traditional, if you could say that we listed. And then we talked to quite a few like competitors and what would have been considered like strategic partners, but um, we ended up getting bought by a private equity fund. You know, that was just, that actually wasn't a strategic partner. And I think they just wanted it for their portfolio it was interesting because I definitely, I thought that one of the few people in the space or our space would have bought us, but they passed and we ended up going a different direction, but it, it ended up working well. They still have the business. It's growing. Um, so it's cool to kind of see it. I still refer people over to them um, here and there as well. That is interesting. And that's, you know, how many, because you had a ton of writers. <laughs> Did you have like a hundred writers or something on that team? Like there was a serious operation. 
Yeah, we had a lot of writers. I mean, they were all contractors, but still like we built the team up and that's that's a big asset as well as I think that was one of the reasons we found out when we sold um, just because hiring training, I think we ended up hiring like 1% of applicants. We had a full-time person that was, you know, constantly hiring. And um, I think for us, like since we didn't like specifically write for a, a very niche topic, we had a lot of writers that were bashed into kind of teams of topic matter experts which allowed us to write for a variety of industries and, and stuff like that. So that was why we opted for yeah, just building a larger team of, of contracted writers, um, which I think worked really well. As the owner operator, how are you spending your time or how are you minimizing your time? Because as a potential business buyer, it's got to be more attractive that the owner is somewhat hands off. Like here's how you're managing that relationship. Like on the one hand, I'm still trying to grow this thing because the more it makes, the better multiple, the better exit that I can have, the more money I'm making today. But on the other hand, like I also want to show that it doesn't necessarily require me day to day. I kind of wrote down five different ways that other service businesses could actually think about kind of designing their business for an exit. And some of the things I implemented and thought about as well. Um, And the first one, to your point of what you just kind of talked about was I had written down like passing the laptop test. Um, And essentially what I mean by this is if you closed your laptop today, like how long would your business survive? And that's really important because if someone's going to buy your business, it's a huge tell like how dependent the business is on you. Um, And the more team you can have implemented and built around yourself um, where you could close your laptop and step away for two weeks a month, which is like kind of the goal I try to set, then the better off your business is going to be. That's going to be really attractive for an investor. All right. Passing the laptop test. I like it. I went 36 hours without email, which is a pretty good streak for me this weekend. So I'm working on it a little bit. Yeah. And I think you can work towards it. I mean, there may be stuff you'd love doing. I think I'm just like, if we look at the mechanism of your business and the operation, like there's always going to be things you're doing, but if you closed your laptop, could your business operate and survive without you? And I think it's fun to kind of, I mean, coders use this term as like a code freeze, right? They'll code something and then they'll step away and see what breaks. Um, And I think that's a great kind of approach for a lot of service businesses as well is build your processes, build your team, and then take take a step back, wait a few days or a day, and the problems are going to rise to the top. And you know, you kind of then have this checklist of what to fix, right? Yeah. Okay. I do like that. What else is on your list? Um, number two, I had um, thinking like a software company. So thinking like a SaaS. So um, I think obviously there's all these different business models, but when you can think and operate like a SaaS, and what I'm specifically referring to is like, cool, like SaaS companies, like why are they so valuable? They have recurring revenue and MRR. They have low churn rate, long lifetime value. So these are things that service businesses 100% can implement. And when you start operating yourself and thinking like a SaaS company, that's going to put you in a really, really good position and category to someone who's maybe looking to buy you. Okay, that makes sense. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? 
Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. What's next? Number three, we got positioning like a product. And I know you've talked about this before on other episodes, but productizing. And this is kind of, you know, obviously something I'm a huge advocate of and, and fan of, but it's like, how can you position yourself like someone is going to come to your site and buy something like they're buying something on Amazon? So productizing your service offering, you know, fixed scope, fixed price, the ability to buy right then, all that really helps and streamline kind of the thing that you're, the service offering that you are, are actually offering. Obviously there's a lot of, we could dive into productizing, but that's a huge part of making a service business attractive and scalable. On the productizing thing, did you get people who still wanted to talk to you? Like, okay, here's the menu of, of different offerings. Here's what you get at different price points. Did you still get people like hitting the little live chat button or like, can I request a call? Like, I just want to talk to somebody about this. Yeah, no, I, th I think for sure. I think the, it's not that you're not trying to talk to anyone. I think it's just, how could you have, like, I think we have this goal or like I do at least like, how could you make it possible to have a no sales close? Maybe it's not possible with your business, but moving that much closer, how could you make your marketing, your positioning, um, your social proof, the positioning of your product and the pricing in such a way that someone could buy without talking to you. I think oftentimes someone does, especially depending on the price point of your service offering. But even if that's the case, you know, then having, how can I have like a one sales close? And that's like a huge shift and a huge step. And like, I mean, could drastically change like how most service business operate if you just kind of think in that, in that way. No, I like it. All right. Number four. Number four, depersonalization. So I think this one's huge and it kind of flows into the laptop test, but you know, does the operations depend on you? 
And then depersonalization is, does the business depend on you? So I think that's a huge one because the more connected you are to the business, whether it's a personal brand, et cetera, or if everything depends on you from like a marketing and network and connection space, that one is going to kind of hold you back, especially on the sale of a business. So working to depersonalize the business and disconnect it from yourself is a huge one as well. This one is really a challenge for me. And I'm going to pause here because the businesses that I've started that have had success have been me like front and center. My name is on it. Like I'm signing my name to it. I've given it my, my stamp of approval versus the ones that I've tried to kind of remain a little more anonymous and try and throw up just generic, hey, it could have been written by anybody type of content. Like those have not done as well. And I imagine for somebody starting out, especially in the so-called skills trap of like, well, I'm an expert in graphic design, so I'm going to start a graphic design company, something along those lines. Like you are really playing up that personal brand, your own personal expertise and credentials and everything. And so you're kind of saying like, if you can avoid doing that from the very beginning, go down that path. Can you speak to that for a minute? For certain people, it's going to be harder than others. I think depersonalizing your business lowers the risk profile for someone to buy it, right? It doesn't mean that the business isn't valuable. It just isn't, might not be as sellable. So that's like a big thing, valuable versus sellable. But I think, yeah, it's one of those things that if you start like that, because you're right, it may be like you may have a huge network, which you talked about before and people know you. And I think you can still be connected initially, but like if it's nickloper.com or nickloper video editing versus like a branded option, I think the goal is to work towards like it not being super dependent on you, even though you still might be the face um, because an investor is going to be like, cool, if are you coming with the business <laughs> or am I buying it from you? Do you want a job now um, or do you want to just sell it? And if I bought it from you, is it going to run the same and smoothly without you in the business? So that's really kind of what it comes down to. I don't think either one is necessarily bad. It's just if you have the goal to sell or want to sell, working towards depersonalizing is is going to be really helpful. Okay, that's helpful because yeah, you see like Russ Perry is behind Design Pickle, but it's not like I'm doing the design for you and Chris Schwab same thing with ThinkMades. Like hey, I am not doing the cleaning, but hey, I'm I'm running this company and it's it's about the service and it's about the customer and who they're targeting and how they're targeting and you know how they're operating and of course hiring qualified people to do the work, not shirking their responsibility on that front in any way, but just saying it didn't have to be about them, you know, their specific skills and mechanics in delivering that labor. So depersonalization, number four, what's number five? Number five is predictability. So I think someone who's going to buy your business wants predictability. They want to see predictability and kind of growth, predictability. And like, that's why MRR or kind of positioning kind of your service are trying to either have, whether it's monthly recurring revenue or Plaza Lab's sake, annual recurring revenue and that consistency. So the more predictability you can build in your business, and that could be applied to, like I said, revenue, team, growth rate, lead flow. Um, there's a lot of areas there. That's going to lower the risk profile to an investor and make your business more valuable. So um, that's something to kind of think about, and it could be applied in a few different areas as well. Okay. Yeah. What kind of consistent process are you applying either on front end marketing wise, like how many leads are you generating a month? How many new clients are you generating a month? What's the churn look like? How many people are on recurring plans? All that stuff. Like if you start the month, as I kind of often 
do, which is still weird to me, even though revenue has been really consistent and growing for several years, I don't have a lot of, you know, spoken for revenue on the first of the month. And then, you know, 30 days later, it adds up pretty well, but it's, it is kind of a weird thing to say like, yes, it's predictable, but it's not necessarily spoken for in advance in terms of like recurring contracts. So it's kind of one-off orders that are coming in or revenue that's coming in, but it's not like on a, it's not true MRR. Is that what, is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not true monthly recurring where, you know, I've got a hundred people signed up on a membership basis, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. Well, I think investors, what I've noticed as well, and talking with a lot of different investors and brokers is your business could still be valuable. I think the MRR component and credit card on file is like, that's a very clear, like, cool, that is predictable. That's why SaaS um, multiples are so high because they have that. But you could also show in your case, listen, I don't have MRR, but here's my 12 months of revenue that's been very consistent and growing or 24 months of revenue. And even though it's not MRR, you can see that it's it's still consistently coming in. So that could provide um, a similar kind of picture to someone who's looking to maybe buy your business. But MRR would be kind of the, the holy grail in many cases. Is there such thing as a typical multiple or sales price for a productized service? Yes, it's all going to depend on the market. I think it's going to probably be in that two to four or five X range. Obviously, the higher end of that range is going to be like very dialed, strong systems, all these different things we talked about, like to demand that then it so that's going to be like the multiple range on like zero to $2 million per se of what they call kind of net earnings or seller discretionary income, or you might've heard the term like EBITDA. They're all very similar, um, kind of getting to kind of the same thing. And, and the multiple is kind of based off that. Once you get over like the $2 million and EBITDA range, then the multiples kind of inflate a little bit more because you're at a certain size in the market that's worth a lot more. You're just bigger and um, people value that more. But for most people who are in that, you know, sub $2 million range, that two to five X is, is pretty common. Yeah. And that's kind of where I've seen a lot of people selling. Would you still go to an empire flippers or a quiet light or an FE international, or is there, are there other brokers that specialize in service businesses? Yeah, hundred percent. I think each of these companies kind of have their own specialty, you know, as well, like the size of businesses. So empire flippers really specializes in like Amazon FB, FBA businesses, right? Uh, Quiet like sells a lot of SaaS, some Amazon, some service, but a much higher price point. So I think finding a broker that's kind of based on your business for specifically talking about service businesses, I would probably lean towards Quiet Light. And then there's also another um, agency called We Are Barney, and they specifically focus on selling productized services and agencies. So I can't gotten touched with their team and, and they've been, it's really interesting to kind of see what they're doing and kind of how they've niched out kind of the businesses they sell. So that's important as well. Finding someone who like understands the service business model. And, um, but I think before even going to a broker, you know, if you have a strategic connection or the ability to sell direct, that's going to be like the most advantageous to save that, uh, 10 to 15% commission. Yeah, exactly. If possible, but you know, also that's the value they bring. If they have that network and can sell your business fast, then sometimes it's worth it. All right. Well, Tyler, what's next for you? You can find, uh, you've got the newsletter going on at productized.services. 
You got the productized snacks podcast. What you working on this year? Yeah, so um, really the newsletter. I've got a weekly podcast where I interview a productized service founder really every week, and so I'm really staying consistent, trying to stay consistent, as you know, on that. And um, I also have an asynchronous uh, mentoring program where I help service businesses kind of scale, and you have like one to one access with me on WhatsApp. So that's been a really interesting kind of way to work with some different productized founders and agencies and and helping them grow. But really, yeah, the free newsletter productized.services is the best place to get connected and then learn more about yeah how to productize. Well, very good. Productized.services. Check them out over there. Tyler, thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Yeah, so I was thinking about this and the first thing I thought of was a quote I'll start with first. Um, and it's, you can't read the label while you're inside the jar. And that's by Keith Cunningham. And I think that's just really powerful, especially with any service businesses out there, side hustlers. And the point of that quote is really, um, if you don't have a mentor, mastermind, consultant available to kind of share your progress, get a second pair of eyes on what you're doing, like that could be one of the biggest things that could help you grow because oftentimes it's less about doing all the right things and more about avoiding the wrong ones. So a mentor coach, you know, can really help avoid those potholes per se on the journey. I never heard that quote before. You can't read the label while you're inside the jar. A call to get some help along the way. Mentorship, coaching, masterminds, all the stuff uh, has been tremendously valuable in my own journey. And I take it has been in yours as well. Big thanks to Tyler for sharing his insight. Once again, you'll find the full text summary with all of Tyler's top tips from the call, along with links to all the resources mentioned at sidehustlenation.com slash Tyler. While you're there, make sure to download my free list of 101 service businesses that might just be ripe for the type of productization we're talking about today. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.